Uh, Let's pray. Lord God, we uh, um, we approach this passage with um, with fear. Um, This is a a difficult passage um, that we are approaching this morning, Lord. It is um, filled with with difficult uh, concepts, um, difficult truths. But Lord, we thank you for that song that we just sang, that we can stand on the promises of your word, uh, that you have for us hope that lifts us from despair, love that casts out every fear, grace sufficient, grace for me, grace for all who will believe as we stand on the promises of your word. Uh, And so, Lord, we pray that we would see this morning uh, the truths that you have for us and the promises as well. Um, And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, as I said, this is not a particularly easy passage that we uh, would like to see ourselves in. Um, there's, there's plenty of stories in the Bible that we would, uh, that we read and we go, oh gee, that's so inspiring, isn't it? I'd love to be, I'd love to be like this character. But I don't think anyone has ever thought, I want to be like Ananias and Sapphira. Wouldn't it be great if God suddenly struck me dead because of my sin? Oh, it's such an inspiring story of, of great role models. Has anyone here ever thought that? No, me neither. <laughs> um, we, we want to put as much distance between ourselves and Ananias and Sapphira as possible, right? We want to assure ourselves that what happened in this passage won't happen to us. We, we just want for this passage not to be about us. Or at least that's the way I uh, come to it. And uh, you, I'm sure you uh, feel to some degree the same way. But the key to this passage, just like with every other passage in the Bible, um, is not to to read it as though, oh, is this about me or isn't it? The, the key is to understand that this passage is ultimately first and foremost about Jesus. And it is. It, Paul, uh, sorry, Luke, Luke, who wrote Acts, says at the start of the book that this uh, this book is all about what Jesus uh, is doing on earth. It's continuing on from his gospel, the gospel of Acts, which is, of course, all about what Jesus did on earth. Uh, and then Acts, we see Jesus rise up into heaven uh, and he's still continuing to work through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles in the church. Um, and so the best way to understand this story in Acts is to see it as what Jesus is doing in the church and to see what it reveals to us about who Jesus is. And if we see this this passage in that light, uh, yes, we'll see that it does apply to us. Uh, And yes, it's fearful, and yes, we don't want to see ourselves in it, but there is good news to be found in Jesus. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to see three things this morning, uh, three things about Jesus. And how Jesus, uh, uh, three things about Jesus and sin in the church. Um, how he feels about it, how he uh, responds to it, and how he, what he expects um, us to do in response to it. So the, these three things are obviously going to form our three points this morning. And the first one is this, Jesus hates sin in the church. 
Uh, verse 1 tells us, again, as, uh, um, as Greg read out to us, that Ananias and Sapphira had a field and they sold, the money, uh, they sold it to give the money to the church. And this is something that was happening quite a bit in, in the first few chapters of Acts. Um, in the, the, the early church in Jerusalem, they were doing this quite a bit. Um, you can even see uh, just before, in the end of chapter 4, um, Barnabas uh, did the same thing. He sold his field and gave the money to the apostles. Um, and so here in chapter 5, we see Ananias and Sapphira doing the same thing. Or at least they said they did the same thing. But look at verse 2. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Um, The context sort of suggests, again, that this um, Ananias was uh, supposed to give all of the money to the church, whether he'd arranged to do that or or what what he'd done with it. But uh, instead, he's brought part of it. He's, He's using the rest for his own purposes. And there's not, that's not necessarily wrong. It's not wrong. You know, you don't have to sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. But um, uh, as Peter says, it's, it's his to do with as he pleases. Uh, but look at what Peter calls him out on. Verses 3 and 4. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself uh, part, of the, uh, part of the land? Uh, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why have you contrived, contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And so what's so wrong with An- what Ananias and Sapphira did? Ultimately, what they did was wrong because they lied to God. And we know, don't we, that lying is wrong. Um, sometimes I guess it's easy to think that, that there shouldn't be anything wrong with lying. It's, it's small, it's harmless, maybe. Uh, but both, like we, we all know that lying hurts relationships. Lying destroys trust. It, it harms relationships. Lies are hurtful. Um, and especially to God. Because God knows the full truth. All lying and, and indeed all sin is hurtful to God. And especially when Christians sin, it's, it's especially hurtful to God. <clears throat> um, you think about when, when a stranger lies to you versus your own child, there's a, a big difference in what that means. Uh, God gave us this good world so that we could live in harmony and joy with him. But when we sin, we disobey, we deceive God... Uh, we harm that relationship. And, and it's good for us to be loved by God and to love him. And, and so for his good and for our good, God hates sin. He has this, this righteous, reasonable hatred towards sin. <clears throat> uh, we have been, been shown a special love by God, especially as, child, as, as God's children. And, and we should know better um, so when we sin, when we have sin in the church, God hates that especially. And that's why I said, as, uh, as this point says, God, Jesus hates sin in the church. Uh, we know that because, of, again, how forcefully Peter responds to this. 
Uh, he's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he really rips into Ananias, right? Uh, we know that because, again, Luke, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records this for us. Uh, we know this because Jesus, uh, the, the passage reiterates this to us by having Sapphira come in three hours later and exactly the same thing happens. It all uh, reiterates, it hammers home this point that Jesus hates sin in the church. Now, I want to be careful with my words here. I don't want to say that God hates sinners in the church, God, as in that God hates his children. Um, we, we are redeemed, right? We are, are covered by the blood of Jesus. We are held in the embrace of the love of the Father and nothing can ever change that. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul says. Nothing in all creation, including our sin, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He delights to shower his forgiveness on us when we confess our sins before him. We've sung about this all morning, right? But... We must not let, dare to think that means that he's pleased with us when we sin. Because of his love for us, like a good and loving father, God hates to see his children caught in the mire of sin. Especially when we, when we, we stubbornly refuse to acknowledge it or to change. <clears throat> Now, if you'll forgive me for labouring the point a bit, I think it's really important for us to remember that this is a good thing. Ultimately, it's a good thing that God cares so strongly about sin in the church. Um, Think about what we've seen on the news over the last few years. Uh, Tragic stories of abuse and corruption, uh, even child sexual abuse, the things that have been going on in the church. And Uh, Perhaps even some of you here today have been impacted by that personally. Maybe you've been hurt or abused, uh, or you know someone who has. Uh, And I can assure you from this passage, Jesus hates the abuse and corruption going on in the church. And dare I say it, he he hates it even more than you do. Even Even if it was perpetrated against you, Jesus hates that even more than you do. I'm sure of that because he, he, he cares more about the sins of Ananias and Sapphira than any of us do. But of course, even though Jesus' hatred of sin is a good thing, it's right, it's also fearful. It's, it's, it's a problem for us because each and every one of us has brought sin into the church. Have any of us gotten up and publicly lied about what we've Given, probably not. But even if our sins aren't the same as Ananias and Sapphira, you and I have all brought sin into the church. <clears throat> Maybe uh, singing glory to God or hallelujah, but, but really it's a lie because in your heart you want more than anything for people to glorify you. Maybe you've come to church with anger or lust in your heart, harboring sins or or gotten angry or lusted after people at church. Have you come to morning tea or to our fellowship lunches and and engaged in gluttony, 
engorging yourself on more than your fair share and, and eating yourself sick just out of selfishness. I know I'm guilty of these. I know I'm guilty of many more things. And we don't even need to limit it really to the sins we may have committed on Sunday mornings, right? We're the children of God. If, if you are a Christian, you're the child of God wherever you go. You're, a, you're part of the body of Christ wherever you go. Uh, and whatever you may or may not admit to doing on Sunday mornings, none of us can say that we are without sin during the week. Each and every one of us, you, me, every Christian has brought sin into the church this sin that Jesus hates. Now, if Jesus hates sin in the church, uh, perhaps that may lead you to wonder, what is he going to do about it? Is Jesus sitting up in heaven going, uh, guys, 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 I'd really rather you didn't do that. Oh, dang it, they did it anyway. G- guys, I, re- I wish you hadn't done that. Guys, are you even listening to me? Is that what Jesus is like? No? Then what? Is he going is it, to Is it a stern talking to? A sternly worded warning and a slap on the wrist? No. Because Jesus hates sin in the church, Jesus fights sin in the church. And this is our second point. Jesus fights sin in the church. Uh, Please read with me from verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened and Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold this land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have carried your husband out are at the door and they will carry you out too. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. As punishment for their deceit, Jesus struck Ananias and Sapphira dead. Uh, Given what Peter said, we we can reasonably understand these deaths as God's sovereign judgment on their sin. Perhaps you're thinking, uh, this sounds really extreme. Perhaps even an overreaction on God's part. Does it seem like that? And now, to be fair, there are a few things that make this not just any example of sin in the church. And this is a a public sin which revolves around this whole community of giving, this um, context of acts that we've... that I said uh, has been established by the first few chapters. Uh, And so in this context, it would be quite problematic for Ananias and Sapphira to get away with this, right? Um, Also, this is the first recorded scene in the New Testament. We uh, read before 
uh, Russell read about the sin of Achan, and that was a similar thing. Uh, Jesus uh, was showing um, that sin needs to be dealt with. Achan uh, sinned, was the first recorded sin in the promised land. These guys were the first recorded sin in the, in the church. Um, they both took things that were devoted to God. They were both killed and buried with their family. Uh, there's this neat symmetry to, to show and to emphasize again that this is serious. This is a big deal and we need to take sin seriously. Uh, and thirdly, Peter mentioned the influence of Satan in all this. And of course, we can't uh, allow Satan to get an, a, a foothold in the church. But really, the sins of Ananias and Sapphira are more alike the other public sins than they are unalike. And so most importantly, we, we need to see these sins as not as, as special circumstances that require God's immediate judgment more than any other sins. We need to see this as God showing that all sin is serious all sin needs to be fought just like with Achan we're seeing God set this example up this era of salvation history this community of God of the people of God that he's setting up the point is that sin needs to be taken seriously all sin needs to be fought Uh, sin needs to be dealt with but what what does that actually mean does that mean sin need Anytime we see public sin, we need to kill people? Well, no, not really. Aside from the examples we've seen today, Jesus doesn't usually fight sin in the church by killing people. God's discipline usually comes through, through circumstances of life. Um, the, Paul says that all, all of life works together um, to make us more like Jesus. But having said that, no matter how long we live... No matter how many circumstances God throws at us, sin is such a big problem that only death can get rid of it. And this points us to the greatest way that Jesus fought against sin. Ultimately, Jesus fought against sin and death along with it through his own death on the cross. Uh, please turn turn over to Ephesians chapter five. <clears throat> um, Ephesians chapter five, and I'm going to pick up halfway through verse twenty-five. Uh, this passage uh, has a lot to say about husbands and wives, but I just want to focus on what it says about about Jesus uh, today. Uh, Ephesians chapter five, verse uh, halfway through verse twenty-five. Uh, Paul says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus gave himself up for us. He sacrificed his life on the cross so that we can be holy and without blemish. That is, completely free from sin. 
Uh, there is an image here of, of the, the husband uh, lovingly washing his wife to get rid of sin, uh, to get rid of dirt, I should say, uh, uh, applying ointment maybe to get rid of pimples or rubbing in cream to get rid of wrinkles. In other words, uh, the image here is of, 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 of removing all the effects of sin and sickness and the weariness of life and the steady onset of death. The goal here is that this woman is a perfect representation of all the beauty, all the glory that God intended for humanity. And this is what Jesus does for us. He washes us clean of sin. He removes sin's hold on us. He he, he reforms our hearts to love him instead of sin. He didn't just die to forgive us or to cover our sin. He died to get rid of our sin. He died fighting our sin. He died to free us from sin. And he rose again, having defeated it once and for all. You see, friends, here is the good news that I talked about earlier. Jesus fights sin in the church and he achieved victory over it on the cross. He has won the victory against sin for us so that we can be washed and freed from our sin. And he will one day, as Paul says, present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blemish. In the new creation, Jesus will will forever completely eliminate sin from the church. And uh, as he promised elsewhere, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Jesus hates sin in the church, he fights sin in the church, and he has the victory. And one day that will result in the total, glorious, eternal sinlessness of the church. Uh, So what does that mean for us in the meantime? Uh, Well, turning back to Acts chapter 5, this this leads us to our third and final point. Uh, Firstly, Jesus hates sin in the church. Secondly, uh, Jesus fights sin in the church. Thirdly, Jesus leads us against sin in the church. Uh, Verse 11 tells us the result of this whole episode. Great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Uh, This verse shows us the the Holy Spirit's purpose in recording this story. Uh, We're supposed to learn to fear like the the early church. Now, the Bible says a lot about the fear of God. And it's a difficult concept for us because we normally associate fear with something terrible, something negative. Uh, You only fear things if they're really, really awful. Um, But when we mean about fearing God, obviously we're not saying that God is awful. We're saying uh, that we have a deep respect, uh, a healthy acknowledgement of who God is and who we are, and a desire to follow him fully. In this context of of talking about sin and and dealing with sin, uh, fearing God, you might think of it the same way that you fear a pest exterminator. Uh, perhaps you you have a compo- uh, uh, a cockroach sorry um, infestation in your house, and you you call in the pest exterminator. What are you going to do then? Are you going to sit there in the in the ground in the middle of your house and and play with your cockroaches, 
pat them and say goodbye to them, right? Is, is that what you're going to do? No, of course not. You're going you're gonna to get fumigated yourself if you do that. You want to go and stand behind the exterminator because he's going to spray something nasty all through your house and you want to be behind him when he does it. And in the same way, that we, Jesus is fighting this deadly battle with sin and we want to be following him when he does it. Uh, that's one aspect, um, particularly here, of what it means to fear God. Jesus leads us against sin in the church and we ought to follow. Uh, that means that where we see sin in our own lives, uh, where the Holy Spirit uh, points out sin to us, we should be quick to repent. That is, we should admit the sin to God and, uh, and through, power, through the power of Jesus, through trust uh, in the Holy Spirit, uh, seek to correct it in our, in our lives. Uh, additionally, we ought to uh, work together to fight sin in the church. Uh, this is something we can do uh, together, the, the New Testament says. See, fighting sin, uh, fighting, uh, sorry, following Jesus against sin is something we can do together. By confronting each other about our sin, sharing the gospel with each other, uh, encouraging each other that, uh, to live in the cleansing and the freedom from sin that Jesus offers us. Uh, Jesus said that if someone sins against you, uh, you ought to confront them privately and gently, but confront them all the same. Now, I don't want to pretend that this is easy. I personally hate confrontation. I don't think I'm alone. It's, it's quite a thing in our Australian culture that we don't like confrontation. We don't like being confronted. We don't like confronting others. Uh, and not only that, but it seems harsh, right? It seems impatient and judgmental. Is, is confronting sin really in keeping with the love of God? Now, absolutely we can confront people in a way that is harsh and impatient and, and judgmental, right? And that's not what I'm, ask, what I'm saying here, that we should do that. But if we confront people well, we shouldn't see it as simply being an act of unloving, impatient judgmentalism. James says it's, an, it's a mission for rescuing people's souls. James 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. See, this is an act of love. Uh, it's in keeping with the love of God that I spoke about earlier, which, which, which doesn't want to see us caught in sin, that wants to see people in, in a loving and, and right relationship with him. Uh, it's an action that leads to forgiveness and restoration. Uh, it is, again, a rescue mission for people's souls. The stakes here are high and the promises of God are even higher. So may we be a church that follows Jesus against sin in our midst. Once again, these are difficult, difficult topics, difficult themes. Sin, especially sin in the church, is not something that we like talking about. Um, and, and 
the lengths that Jesus goes to to fight against it are truly fearful. But the next few verses in Acts show us uh, that there is salvation and grace freely available to those who come in healthy fear and humility before God. Jesus fought against sin on the cross. We are free in him from the tyranny of sin and we live in hope of eternal, glorious, sinless life with him. He is our hope as we face sin in the church, hope of forgiveness, hope of victory, hope of eternity without this lifelong battle with sin that we face now. And so in response to these things, let's pray. Lord Jesus, your word truly is a mirror for our souls. Uh, And in that mirror, Lord, we have come face to face with uh, the ugliness of our sin. Uh, Lord, we have seen how seriously you take the issue uh, of sin in the church. And it chills us because we know our own sin. But Lord, you cleanse us from our sin. Uh, You have defeated it upon the cross And so we pray, please help us uh, to take it as seriously as you do and fight it in our midst by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, In the power, in the, the power of your name, we pray. Amen.